while we turned away from him, he turned his heart toward us. While we chased after selfish desires, he chased after us. While we made excuses for our misguided choices, pursuing an elusive sense of fulfillment, he emptied himself to take the form of a servant. This unthinkable inequity, our Creator clothed in flesh and weakness for the sake of those clothed in iniquity. While we were lost and alone, He became a path for us. While we embraced the comfort of falsehood, He embraced us and showed us truth. While we were eclipsed in shadow, our spirits broken and dying, He became life and light to all. Our shepherd, our teacher, our savior and king. And when it seemed the world had given up, He gave up everything. At just the right time, when we were powerless, He displayed His power and purpose. While we stood accused, He accepted the accusation. He endured humiliation and the untold suffering of crucifixion. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we deserved it, far from it, but because there has never been a greater love than the love of Jesus. Today, if you feel hopeless, He gives hope unconditionally. If you've been rejected, He accepts you completely. If your burdens weigh heavy, lay your fears and failures at the foot of the cross, for His blood has erased them entirely. No longer a slave, but an heir of salvation, you are His child, His chosen. You are His beloved. see you guys. I've got a piece of advice for you and then some scripture I want to begin with. Don't try to kill a red wasp with a dress sock that's very thin. The red wasp will win every time. I got stung this week right on that finger and that thing was swollen for three days. Awful. Buddy Seal is the one that caused all of it. All right, it's good to see all of you guys. I wanted to um, just remind you, as I was watching that video, I couldn't help but think of a book I'm reading. And the book that I'm reading is just based on one verse of Scripture, and that's Romans 8, 28. And uh, just as a reminder, we know it says this, that God causes all things, all things, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I think that's good to remember in the Christian life. It's something that we easily can forget, but that in the bad times and in the good times, the Lord is on the throne. We may not understand this side of glory, why things go on, but he's working all these things out in our lives for his purpose. 
And so we just have to trust in that. So I, w- I was thinking about that. Even a, even a bee stinger, right. So I just, I was just reminded of that as I was watching the video uh, this morning. So appreciate it. I know Ron put, he, he researches all these videos and uh, really appreciate him doing that. And you know, a lot of them have some great messages for us to think about. So um, This morning we have a couple of different announcements we need to make. One will be made by uh, Tom Reed and he's going to come up here. He'll just start making his way up here. Uh, he's one of our deacons here at Grace and he's going to talk to us a little bit about the um, the building fund and how things are going and a challenge that's being going to be presented to us as a congregation. And then after he's finished, then Dean Self has an announcement that he needs to make. All right. Tom. <clears throat> We've had a uh, offer, a gracious offer from some families in the church to match up to $50,000 any uh, donations to the uh, building fund over the next five months. And just wanted to let you know that we'll start next week and it'll go through mid-October for the matching. And this is on the total that was, that'll be given up to $50,000. And I thought it might be uh, well to kind of give you an update on the uh, building loan that we have. In October of uh, 2017, we uh, got a loan of $900,000, and that uh, that was for the purpose of completing the building of the two-story education building here in the back. In three and a half years, we've been able to pay down that uh, $900,000 loan to $426,000. Three and a half years, what a blessing. And we, we've been able to do that because of consistent building fund offerings. Every week we get money designated for the building fund. And it's just a blessing to see. And also our strong um, general fund giving has been strong this past year. Even through the COVID, we've seen strong giving all the way around in the church. And, and that's a real blessing. But this is a a challenge similar to what we had two years ago, and we were able to raise over $100,000. So we have an opportunity in the next five months to reduce our existing loan another 25%. So anyway, praise the Lord. Two weeks ago, uh, Thad was talking a little about uh, sharing the gospel, and it just really pricked my heart that because I'm one of these guys that'll go and share the gospel with any tree that that moves in the breeze, kind of like thing. So I have this uh, track that I always I always give. Uh, there's there's two commandments. Uh, the two main commandments in the New Testament is uh, the uh, the first one is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's one of them. The other one is the Great Commission. It says go into all the world. That that uh, word go uh, in Spanish is called mientras yendo. That is as you are going. And that means a daily walk. As you daily walk through this world, you are to share the gospel. Uh, with whoever you come into contact with. I know that most of y'all are not like me, that 
that uh, uh, likes to do stuff like that. I know a lot of you are timid and say, well, I can't do that. I just can't be, you know, like that. But I have, uh, have a way that I think I'd like to challenge you with, and this is a, a gospel track, and it's called This Was Your Life. Some of you may know what that is. It's called a chick track, but uh, it's a funny book. And at the end, it has the plan of salvation. And uh, so, so this is something that you can just leave with somebody. You don't have to go and thump them over the head with a Bible or anything like that. You just leave this with a person that God brings into your path. And he'll take it home or she'll take it home, read it at their convenience. And at the end, there's a plan of salvation. Well, and they may even get back in touch with you. You can even write your name and telephone number on the back of the, the track if you want to. Uh, you don't have to do that. But you, anybody can just give somebody a track. And so I want to challenge you that you would take, we have a 1,000 out in the front lobby there, and I, I want to challenge you to take three this week. And during the week, when you get, make contact with three different people, you share this gospel uh, with them or give them this funny book. Anybody can do that, even the youngest ones here and the oldest ones here. You're going to at least contact three people uh, uh, during your week probably. And so I want to challenge you personally that you would take at least three of these and you would give them to somebody that God will bring into your path. Don't worry about who it is because God will bring them into their path and you'll, and the Holy Spirit will prompt you and say, you need to give them one of these like that. So they're outside in this little table right back behind you and all you got to do is just take them. So take three or more, take however many you think you can use, but, but at least three and, and try to share the gospel with somebody during this week. We've got a great opportunity. The COVID thing has hit. There's a lot of people worried. A lot of people are, are scared. A lot of people uh, need some kind of assurance in their life. And so this would be a way where not only could we help them physically and mentally, but also could help them spiritually. So just check them out there in the back. Thanks. I, I do at home. I can get them to you at, at home. So, yes, thank you. Uh, and these are in Spanish, too. So if somebody would be interested, well, I can get you some of those. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Dean. Thank you, Nancy, for that question. Um, quite an opportunity exists today for all of us uh, to share the gospel of Christ. And... You know, there aren't wasted moments in our lives. Uh, we may waste moments in our lives, but they're not wasted moments. God has every step for us, <clears throat> and we need to take the opportunity to walk through those doors as he gives us, as he gives us those opportunities. So <clears throat> thank you, Dean. I wanted you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, the third chapter. Ephesians chapter 3, we continue on in our Bible reading together. <clears throat> we weren't in Ephesians the last two or three weeks, but... We want to pick it back up, beginning in chapter 3, and uh, I ask that you stand as I read. <clears throat> I 
Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it, ha as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf for they are your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, after reading that passage, we want to thank you for grace. For your favor in our lives as Christians. Thank you, Lord, that because of your wonderful grace, there has been made salvation possible. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as believers, if we know you today, help us to be men and women and boys and girls who are faithful to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and to proclaim it to those that you would bring into our paths. And that, Lord, there would be a distinct difference in our lives. That people would see that 
hey, there's something different about that person and the way they handle life and the way they handle trials and, and tribulations and sufferings. I pray they would see in our lives a distinct difference so that, so that your name is brought up and so that your name is glorified. Help us this morning, we pray, that, that we might be ready this morning to worship you as we sing and as we um, look at your word. I pray, Father, that um, your spirit would lead us and would guide us into all the truth and that we might, Lord, um, just really enjoy our time this morning of true celebration of the one and only God who is Christ the Lord. And it's in his name we pray all of these things. Amen. Morning, church. So glad you guys can make it with us this morning. To him who is able to do far above all that we ask or think, we serve a great God. And the songs this morning are about him. Um, and we want to lift his name high. We want to give him all the praise and honor that's due him. But our thoughts are always just concluded with life and work, right? They get in the way. So we want to take a minute, give you guys just a second, the quietness of your own hearts, uh, just to pray. And just to ask the Lord to remove those things. Because we want to worship Him not just with our voices, not just with our lips, but with our hearts, right? So you guys take a minute and just have a little prayer with God and ask Him through His Spirit to kind of clear your mind of, of the things that would interfere with you worshiping Him this morning. tries to hide trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God all will see how great how great Age to age you stand And time is in his hands Beginning and the end Beginning and the end 
I've been to Bryant-Denny Stadium several times. I guess we should just close in prayer then, right? <clears throat> One of the things that I notice when I go is there's just not much of a distinction between the colors of Arkansas and Alabama. When you walk into the stadium, there's typically in Bryant-Denny 100,000 plus and over in the, I think it's on the east side in the corner, there's a small representation of Razorback fans. Very small representation. But when you look at the overall population of Bryant-Denny on a day when Alabama and Arkansas are playing, it is very difficult to pick out the hog fans if you're just walking in and looking at colors. And I got to thinking about that as it relates to what we will discuss today in terms of how Paul defines man in the last days. And I came to the conclusion that there would be a good question for all of us to consider and that is, is there a distinct difference between my life as a Christian and the pagan world? The pagan man. I think it's a good question to consider. It's hard to tell the difference in Bryant-Denny when Arkansas is playing Alabama. I would propose to you that at times... It's hard to tell the difference between those who belong to Christ and those who don't. But I believe we have a distinct opportunity, a unique opportunity, to be different. To be people who not only testify that we know Christ, but people that live like they know Christ. You know, we always say, well, I hope people will see a difference in me because I'd love to be able to talk with them about the person that's made a difference in my life. But how many times has someone come up to you and said in your lifetime, hey, you look so different in your life and how you handle things that what's going on? <laughs> It'd be interesting to consider that <clears throat> as an individual, <clears throat> how many times that's happened to us because we are so different. And I think one of the greatest challenges for us in the last days is to look different, to be different, to say, you know what, there are values that man has, but a believer has different values. There are goals that man has, but believers have different goals. Man worships a lot of different things. I worship one God. So, I don't know how that sounds to you, but I can only, as I've gone through this study, kind of looked at the way Paul defines man in the last days and just kind of done a self-examination. I mean, it just it's prompted me to say, okay, these are some pretty heavy-duty phrases. What about my life? <laughs> does that make sense? I mean, how does that look? In my life. 
So, I know you're probably thinking, are we ever going to get out of verses 1 through 9? And the Lord willing, that will be today. But if you, remember, if you weren't here last week, we discussed from 2 Timothy um, kind of why uh, Paul tells Timothy right in the middle of these verses, avoid such men as these. So we kind of took it a little bit different way and we went from the first point of know that in the last days difficult times will come to there are some things that you need to know about these people, about these men and why you need to avoid them and that's kind of what we looked at last week so if you weren't here and you have that big packet in front of you we covered point three last time and now we're going back to point two <laughs> so just in case you're like what, what, do you, what are you doing point three it's already done so if you weren't here last week we're done with point three but I wanted to remind you of why, um, just briefly, why Paul tells Timothy to avoid such men as these. Remember he said that these men captivate the weak. And in the context of the passage, he says they captivate weak women. Now it's very, very important that you do not believe this is a, a general characterization of women in general. That's not what he's doing here. He's pointing to a specific group of women in Ephesus where they were weighed down with sins, as he says in the text, being led by various impulses. So he describes these men as those who captivate the weak. And in this context, as he's writing, he's thinking about the women in Ephesus, some of them who were vulnerable. And then we saw that um, Paul says not only are you to avoid them because they captivate weak women, but these men oppose the truth. They oppose the truth. And we looked at that opposition that not only Paul faced, but even that we face today. And we, look at the, we looked at an, at an example. You remember in the beginning of our discussion, we talked about opposition to Christianity today. And we talked about progressive Christianity and kind of that whole danger there, and I gave you that in your notes. So you have that packet in front of you. Then we talked about the fact that these men have a corrupt mind. And we read Romans chapter 1. And then we saw that these men were not genuine. They didn't pass the test. They were not authentic. You know, and it just, it just naturally leads to the question um, of examination in our own lives... When Paul writes in Corinthians and he says to the Corinthian church, believers, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And then we saw that the encouragement in this instruction was that these men would be found out. And he used the illustration of Janes and Jambres who opposed Moses. And so we kind of looked at the why last week. And this week I want to look at these characteristics um, and just kind of break them down. I'm not going to land on all of them, so um, don't walk out hanging your head like, well, he didn't cover that one. You can go home and read what I have for you and study it on your own. Wouldn't that be great? And um, just see what the Lord leads you to. But I, I broke down each one of these, whether they're individual words or phrases, and I gave credit where credit's due. A lot of this came from Bible dictionaries and Strong's Concordance. Um, and so... That's what we have in front of us to kind of take a look at this morning. And I did put a PowerPoint together to kind of give us something to think about beyond just the characterization of these men. Okay, so 
to kind of remind us of some things that God wants for us <laughs> that are uh, a, completely different from the way he describes um, these men. If you were to go out and ask a typical person, how do you think mankind's doing today? What kind of answer do you think you would get? How would man describe himself today? Oh, we're doing pretty good. Our, you know, our technology is really advanced. And our medicine is really advanced. You know, we're, we're about to come out with electric cars. I mean, everything's going great. But they're talking about accomplishments. The question becomes, how is man characterized? Who is he? Because I think a lot of people would, would answer that question that mankind is generally good. I believe that. They would answer that way. Is mankind generally good? According to the Bible? No, he's not. And we read that last week in Romans and the first chapter. I wanted to just kind of give you a, I guess a heads up. This is working. Is that, that's not the heads up, but hello. Uh. May have been, Daner. Thank you. I don't think it was, but I like what Chuck Swindoll said in his commentary about this section. He says, the list of characteristics provides us with a realistic portrait of our times. Passages like this cause some people to avoid honest exposition of the scriptures because it's too bleak to accept. That is the absolute truth. <laughs> there are people that will just skip this section. Like, I, we're going to just kind of, you know, gloss over it and move on because this is way too discouraging. And they're not going to come back next week. But the reality is this. We have to understand who's out there, you know, and how they are. And then it helps us also in terms of how we evangelize and in terms of examining even our own lives to see if any of these things are a problem for us at times. Which is, when I went through it, I'm like, my life might not be characterized by these things, but boy, there's times when in my life, some of these things are a problem. Right? So, um, I don't know if it's good or not good, but I get to study this and think about it and meditate on it, and the Lord deals with me on it, and he's like, hey, Pat, <laughs> you know, the only reason you're righteous is because of my son. So I think it's kind of with fear and trepidation I go over these characteristics, and I think we all need to kind of take a look at each of these ourselves. So it begins, let's just read it together, and then I'll go back through it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. And remember we said that word men there is anthropos, mankind. So... Every, uh, every man. <laughs> Mankind will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, Avoid such men as these. Let's ask the Lord to help us. 
Lord, we need your spirit to help us today. I would hope and pray that as we leave today, this would challenge us in our own lives personally that our life should be distinctly different. That we've been bought with a price. We need to glorify you. Lord, I'm thankful we can do that through the help of your Holy Spirit. I pray you would help me today and help all the listeners, Lord, that we might all be listeners to what your word has for us this morning. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So, you know, Paul and Timothy faced big challenges when they were living in regards to mankind. It's no different today. (laughs) I mean, they were living in the last days, and we are. And Paul goes to great pains to make sure Timothy understood before uh, Paul departed that he lived in some very challenging times. In fact, he says about men that they would grow from bad to worse later on. <laughs> you know, if you're looking for an encouraging devotion, I mean, Timothy had to be going, wow, this is, this is rough stuff. And it is. But it would be wrong just to gloss over it or pass over it and say, well, I really don't need to know that. No, we need to know. We need to know the type of people that are out in our world today. And we need to be able to kind of look at our own lives as well. So he begins with lovers of self. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. We said this describes a person who is solely interested in their own needs. Their own interests. Uh, We live in a narcissistic society. That's the reality of it. I mean, it is truly all about me. That is the motto of man today. Um, In fact, I I mentioned a few weeks ago, you know, Wayne Barber says self-love sets one up like a god and says that nothing matters as much as the pleasure of oneself and you look at the young people today and the way they're just being coddled and you're like man this is just setting up for disaster so he says men will be lovers of self we looked at that but i think dean pointed out while ago you know the greatest commandment is that we would as believers what love the lord our god with all our heart all our soul all our mind all our strength and then love our neighbors as ourselves. We understand, right, that love's to be present in the church as well, that we are to love one another. The scriptures are clear about that. So mankind might be, right, in his, in, in his world, you know, all about loving self, but we need to be different than that. And then he said lovers of money. Now that, that phrase there has more to do with coveting, all right, more to do with coveting. Um, and Paul had dealt with this with Timothy already in terms of the love of money. Back in the first letter that he wrote to Timothy, he wrote this to him. And some people get this wrong. <laughs> some people say money is the root of all sorts of evil. That's not what the Bible says. Okay? It says the love of money. So it's the love of money, Paul says, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. You say, well, how does it impact? Well, look what it says. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That was going on back then. Ephesus was a pretty wealthy place. Okay, And so I think Paul writes with that in mind. But the idea of this particular term in the Greek language has to do with coveting. What did the Lord say to Israel about coveting? They were not to do what? They were not to covet. All right? Um, I 
think that as I was thinking through that and I was, I was thinking about our culture, I mean, man will almost go to any extreme to get what he wants, will he not? In our culture today, he's going to go to whatever extreme that he needs to or she needs to to get what they want. Um, and Paul characterizes man in the last days as being covetous. Well, we know we're not supposed to be that, right? That's nothing new. But how do we deal with that, right? If we have a problem with coveting, I would say be a giver. How about that? Biblical answer is 2 Corinthians in chapter 9. What does he say to the believers there in Corinth? He says, now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You ever had an issue with coveting? I mean, are you breathing? <laughs> right? I mean, all of us have had times in our lives where we have coveted something, right? And it can even be someone, right? That's the way the Lord dealt with Israel in Exodus chapter 20. So it's not just about possessions, it can be about a person, right? So he's saying mankind is characterized, mankind in the last days is characterized by being covetous. But we're not supposed to be that way. So how do we deal with that? Well, I think the cure is found there for us that we are to be men and women in Christ who are hilarious givers. That's what the word cheerful means. Hilarious givers. That we can't wait for the opportunity to give what God has given to us. And that's a process. And might I just encourage you, if you've not started that process in your life, start it today. You know, you hear the phrase over and over again and and, you know, when I, I heard the phrase, I'm not even sure the first time I heard it, I was probably a little guy, you can never outgive God. Do you believe that today? <laughs> not enough amens. Do you believe that today? Okay. Because you can't. You can't outgive God. I have illustration after illustration in my life of times where Teresa and I have given something and thinking, man, Lord, you're leading us to do this, but hey, have you seen the balance? But the Lord's in control, isn't he? He knows all things. And so there's opportunities for us to, by faith, step out and say, you know, Lord, you've given it all to me. It all belongs to you. And by faith, I'm going to be a hilarious giver. All right, so he says men will be characterized as lovers of money. And then he says, look at this, boastful and arrogant. Now, the word boastful there is, is it's a verbal kind of thing where somebody is bragging on themselves. This person is, is described, seeks glory for self. And there's a characterization here that's important. They typically exaggerate in order for someone to notice them. You run into people like that. Maybe you've even been that person like that at times. All of us are guilty, I think, at times. It's an outward expression. You know, we're building up ourselves. Man, does that. We, we see that. My goodness, you don't even have to have the radio on for 10 seconds and you're going to hear that. Or the television on for 10 seconds. You're going to hear that. And then the other term he uses here is arrogance. This is an inward attitude. 
that one has. Um, do you know what that leads to? You know what that leads to for mankind? You know where that goes? Mankind, in his arrogance, it leads to this. I know better than God. That's where it leads. Mankind puts himself on the throne and says, I know better than God does. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, there are examples in the Bible of those who were arrogant. Lucifer was arrogant. True? True. Man in the garden was arrogant. There are several examples in your Bible, and you can go this afternoon and research this. Several examples of men and women who had issues with pride. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 6, it's one of the things that the Lord hates. He hates that. Because pride at the end of the day says this, I don't need God. I'm doing just fine all by myself. And in our country, up until this last year, man would say, I'm doing fine all by myself. I don't need a God. But then all of a sudden, COVID comes and it's like, woo, scared to death. I may need something that someone has. Maybe there is something to this God thing. So that's why I say we have a tremendous opportunity right now. I like what William Barclay says. He says, this describes a person with so much pride that they are unaware they need help. That's a lot of pride. But couldn't we say mankind's like that? He's unaware that he needs help. I don't need anyone. I mean, how many times have you been talking with someone and they say, you might need that God, but I don't. That's just an expression of arrogance. So in the last days, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant. The next word that he uses is revilers. Now this is an interesting word. It's the term blasphemous. It means to curse or to slander someone. How many times have you heard, if we just deal, deal with it in relationship to God, have you heard mankind slander the name of the Lord? Revile the name of the Lord. Hurl insults at the name of the Lord. How do we respond to that? How do you respond to that? You ever been in one of those awkward spots? <laughs> Who's not raising their hand, right? And, and someone's taking the name of the Lord, our God, in vain. How do we respond to that? That's tough, isn't it? It's where the rubber meets the road. When I was younger, I didn't handle that real well. And as I got older, I began to, to just use a little phrase, and especially when I did blue-collar work, which I know you're having to envision that. But when I was, you know, whether I was doing electrical work or whether I was working and, and uh, running the sprinkler systems, whatever. I mean, the language you hear at times, let's just say it's salty. And so I got to the point where the Lord helped me in that. And I would say, uh, when they would use the Lord's name in vain, I'd say, what God are you talking about? What are you saying about God? Well, I've had, had some interesting responses over the years. I think we have to think through that. 
Because we live in a culture that does not mind demeaning the name of the Lord our God. And we ought to be offended by it. I'm offended by it every time I hear it. When we think about God as believers, it should be, I can't wait to, like what we did this morning, praise his name. Glorify his name. And so when I hear other people slandering my God, it bothers me. So, I don't know if I gave you this definition, but it also means to hurl insults. So, man does that with man, but man does that with God. And so I was reminded of um, a passage of scripture that talks about encouragement in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And I think it's an appropriate couple of verses, especially for our, our church today. Not just ours, but the church today. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. It's good to be together. We can never forget that. The enemy wants us apart. Are you listening to me? And he's done a lot in this last year to keep us apart. He has. It's just the truth. So how does the church respond moving forward? We have to be together. See, we have to have the mindset that, oh, the last days, well, that's, you know, like Paul, he lived like the Lord was coming then. So the challenge for us is to live like the Lord's coming now. And we need to have that mind. He can come any moment. And so when we think about it, how's the Lord going to find his church? Hmm. It's a lot to think about. How's the Lord going to find every individual in the body? The author of Hebrews says there shouldn't be this forsaking of assembling together as is the habit of some. It was already a problem. You know, one of the things I think that's a challenge, and I'm just going to be honest with you, is for some of the church to re-engage after this last year. Can I just be honest about that? I think, it's, I think it's going to happen where there are going to be people that never re-engage. Do you agree with that? That's tough to say, isn't it? Tough to hear, but it's the truth. The enemy's already done a tremendous amount of damage to the church. We need to be men and women that are committed to assembling together. And look what he says, as the habit of some, but in, we should be encouraging one another to what? To assemble together. <laughs> Context. Assemble together. We need each other as believers in Christ. I don't know about you, but when I'm walking through a hard time in my life, I'm glad I have other believers I can come and fellowship with and and maybe even express to one, hey, look, I'm having a hard day. I need you to pray for me. Isn't that nice? And to see their face. So it just, as I was thinking through this, you know, the world may hurl insults and toward our God and toward one another. Obviously, we shouldn't be about that. We should be about this. Like, if you're all right with it, we could meet till 1 or 2 o'clock. You all right with that? I didn't get any amens on that. I got some, hmm. It is good to be together. Because I'll say for certain, we probably 
took it for granted up until this last year. You know what's going to be nice about the Lord coming? When he comes for his church, we're always going to be with the Lord. Never apart from him. Never apart from believers. It's going to be a wonderful time. This next one's tough. Disobedient to parents. Any disobedient children out in our audience today? (laughs) I got some parents shaking their heads. Disobedient to parents. This describes, this is a word that describes one who willfully disregards authority. Let's just not even start with the home. Let's start with the schools. Willfully disregarding authority. You say, well, how do they get to that point where they're in the schools disregarding authority? I'll tell you how. It starts in the home. That's where it starts. You know, it can even mean in this particular context, disregarding the wisdom of a mother or father. You know, you remember those days, right? Even some of the older ones will remember. I can't wait to leave home so I can be out on my own and this is my house and I can do what I want to do. And then what happens? They come to find out that their parents aren't as dumb as they thought. I think this is the next slide. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 6 says to children. So how many of you are children today? Raise your hand. A lot of children here, right? Let's just say 18 and younger. How many children do I have? Keep your hand up really high. All right. Look what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Okay? The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Well, you say, Pastor Thad, were you obedient whenever you were a little boy? Not all the time. I got my fair share of whippings at home and at school. And if I got it at school first, I got it at home. I never knew how my dad found out, but he always did. There's like this secret society that goes on, right? Make a phone call. Back in the day when I grew up, neighbors could spank me, right? If I did something wrong, it's just like, man, that was worse. Because if, if Mr. Davi came down the street to my house and said, I just had to spank your son... Well, it was over. I was going to get it again. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. How do you honor them? Obey them. Which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. It's the only commandment with a promise. Billy Graham said this a child who is allowed to be disrespectful to his parents will not have true respect for anyone I kind of agree with that you agree with that we live in a culture of disrespect just across the board We're not even in the home yet. Just across the board, we live in a culture of disrespect. 
and we have children today that are being raised by disrespectful parents. That's the truth. You say, where do we get all these disrespectful kids from? Parents. So we have to ask ourselves as parents, what are we modeling for our children? Because the world just doesn't care. There's disrespect. Have you ever been in a store like Walmart or Target or pick your place and you've seen that disrespect go on between a child and a parent? You ever had that happen? Have you ever had it happen where you wanted to rip that child out of the basket just to say hello, right? <laughs> I mean, I've seen them where children are just... You, know, you do not have to teach your children to be disrespectful or be disobedient. This is going to happen. It comes with it. It's part of sin nature. They're going to be disrespectful. They're going to disobey. We do not have to teach our children to disobey, but we do have to teach our children to obey and to respect. Why? Because God said so. This is probably just ticky-tack to some people, but when I grew up, it was yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, all the time. And if I fail to say it in a home of a visitor, rut row, dad was going to handle me probably on the way home. I've had kids say to me, yeah, uh-huh. Mm, I just kind of, my, my skin does weird things when that happens. Parents, this is a challenge for you. we got to get a hold of this issue. Okay? The world, we can expect, right? We can expect what he says here from the world. But in the church, it should be different. We should be respectful to one another. All right? And I'm talking adults here. Respectful to one another. And we should be, as parents, willing to discipline our children for their betterment. And this is what I see a lot of. I want to be my kid's buddy. That's coming. But you got to discipline them when they're young. Because you know what will happen when you don't? They're going to surprise you one day. It's not going to be a good surprise either. They're going to surprise you one day and do something that embarrasses you. And you're going to have to step back and go, did I not teach them that? I don't know who wrote this, but it says... We have a generation or two that knows little about authority or discipline. You know, what's interesting to me is the word order here that after that he says ungrateful, right? Unholy, unloving. Ungrateful. We have generations of young people who from what I can see, are not as grateful as they need to be. I'm just being honest with you, right? Next week, you can deliver this message. This is a hard one to deliver. But the reality is, we don't see gratefulness in our culture for sure with our children. And I'm not sure we see it as much as we want to see it in the church. 
Um, the Bible tells us as believers that in everything we're to give thanks. See, there, that's the distinct difference. The culture is not going to be that way, but we can be that way. So, ungrateful, unholy, this is without, without reverence, is what the way he describes this. Without reverence specifically for God and the things of God. Unloving. The word describes a person without family love. Now, this one's pretty interesting. He uses a different Greek word here. This person is characterized as having a callous heart. You know, children can have that callous heart. And, and to me, it's not like random the way this order is. It's disobedience of parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving. Do we see that in children? Answer, Yes. In our world, absolutely. You know the fastest growing homicide in the U.S.? You know what it is? Children killing their parents. I read about a girl who was 16 years old. She was dating a man who was 19 years old. Her parents told her that they wanted her to stop seeing him, to which she did not respond in a way that was in any way obedience. In fact, she got so frustrated with her parents about their decision to say, you need to stay away from this guy, that she shot her mother and shot her father and killed them both. It happens, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. How does it start? It's sad, but it starts with this issue of disobedience and disrespect. There has to be within the home an establishment of authority. God's way is this, that the man is the head of the home. True? And do you know in the Bible it says that fathers are to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord And you know what you see a lot of today in the world and even in the Christian church today? An absence of fathers. Well, I'm too busy and I have this to do and and, and I'm just going to leave it all to, you know, mom. She can do it. You know the difference between mom and dad, at least some of the times? When my mom said she was going to whoop me, I almost laughed. When my dad said, hey, son, when I, want to get, when I get home, I'm going to whip you, there was no laughing going on. I was looking for every area I could hide in. Oh, Lord, how can I get out of this? You see, God set it up, and he made it simple. Plain language, fathers. Fathers. In all my years, none of my boys ever came to me and said, Daddy, I'm sick, help me. Never. When children are sick, who are they going to? Mom. Fathers, I want to encourage you, draw a line in the sand. As a father, say, you know what? I am going to discipline my children. I'm going to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, they're going to know what God says about this. 
They may do like, I don't want to hear it, but I am going to tell them. Then I'm going to whoop them if they're doing that. You have to tell them. This is what God says. I mean, you look at the stories. Listen, that was just one illustration. There's story after story after story after story of children who are taking the lives of a parent or parents because they don't want to live under rules. Hey, young people, I got really great news for you. If your parents have rules in your home, you know what that means? They love you. They love you. I had rules in my home. How many of you with no hair or white hair had rules in your home? I don't ever remember remember ever a time in my life trying to negotiate with my dad. When he said cut the yard, he meant now. He didn't mean, hey, dad, I want to play this game and I want to do that thing. I want (laughs) to, right now. (laughs) And after once or twice of uh, ignorance on my part, it was, yes, sir. Of all these, I think the disobedience of parents and these 300 men just really hit home with me. I was just like, wow, we're living in a culture. Listen to me. The enemy wants our children. He wants them. And if we placate to their every whim, he's going to get them. And that's what we say. Well... You know, I'm, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to reason with my child, or I'm going to give my child this, and then they'll do that. No, they're not. If you say, I'm going to give my child this, and then in hopes of obedience, you know, that happens a lot. Where parents negotiate with their children. Now listen, I am not, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, man, that's just saying go home and beat your kids, it's silly. It wouldn't hurt to go home and spank your kids. If you asked any one of my boys, they would tell you I spanked them. Now, this is how it went in my home. My oldest was mm, my greatest challenge. I whipped him a bunch. Bunch. The one back there in the orange shirt. Hung out with my son when they were young. Both guilty. All the time. In fact, Malcolm and I had an agreement. If they're sitting on the log at the kindergarten, when we get there, you just spank, spank both of them. Just spank them. And invariably, almost every day, they're sitting on that log. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> so, you know what? Today, my oldest son, he's my friend. He's my buddy. If you asked him, he would say, I appreciate my father's discipline. My middle son, I didn't have to spank as much. You know why? Because Michael went, no thanks. (laughs) And then Andrew, I mean, I don't know. Praise the Lord for Andrew. I think maybe one hand... Many times I spanked him. Kids are a blessing from the Lord. 
But you know what, kids? You know when you're going to start appreciating your parents? When you have your own family. And that little kid that you share with your wife, you say, oh, they do disobey. Oh, they aren't doing what I want them to do. I thought I would get through today. I'm not going to. This is a good place to stop. I want to challenge us this morning that we would take a look at this list. Now the advantage you'll have is that with the help of the Lord, we'll finish next week the list. But you'll have the advantage to take that home and study it and think through it. I guess I just want to challenge all of us with this in conclusion today. That we have the description of the world, and that's how mankind is. And they're over here. But over here, it's God's way. What does God want from us as Christians? As parents, as children, as young people. Because it would be nice if someone would come up to us and say, Hey, look, you seem to be living your life in a completely different manner than me. What is it that you're doing? What's going on in your life? And you know what? We don't have to give them a long answer. We can say in short, Jesus Christ. He's changed my life. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, I know that my intention was to get through all of it this morning, and uh, you just had different plans. And, and I thank you, Lord, that we got to talk about some things that are really important as we consider our culture and as we compare our culture to to our own homes and our own lives. and Lord, just thinking about the, the issue with children today, I, I pray for the parents. Lord, that you would give them the wisdom that comes from your word to bring up the children and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I pray that fathers would lead that campaign because that's what your desire is. And it hasn't changed. There is a bond that goes on with a, a mom and a child that is just part of the creation process that, that fathers aren't privileged to. And um, I've always kind of viewed it as fathers are nine months behind, so to speak. There's a lot of catching up to do, but, but Lord... Um, I think it's just the way you all worked it out because you expect fathers to be the heads of their home and, and to, to begin with, they're to love their wives unconditionally and sacrificially. And our children today, they need to see appropriate love and affection between husband and wife. And then, Lord, there needs to be this desire in the lives of fathers, to raise up men, men, godly men. And I pray, Lord, that in a culture that's trying to find its identity, so to speak, that, that you would help us to remember our own identity. That if we are in Christ today, we're your son. And we have a purpose, and we have a hope, we have a future. God, you've entrusted us with children, and, 
and as gifts you've given us them and, and grandchildren. And I pray, Lord, that we would think about, most of all, we would think about the salvation of our children and our grandchildren. We would pray for that. We would share with them the gospel over and over and over and over again. Help us by your spirit, Lord, to, to look different from the world so that people in the world would not characterize us like these, like these words here that we have that Paul expresses to Timothy. So help us to be different by your spirit. We pray for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand as we close our service together. Thad was talking about kids not obeying and Lord brought to mind there's, there's one who was born to man, and he obeyed his father perfectly, his mother perfectly, and not only that, his heavenly father, and that's who this song is about. So let's sing together. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still, and all alone. Shall pierce the night, and I will.
among the saints, I guess that spirit of Jesus same time and I think it's just good that we would pray for our families today. Lord just lay that on my heart while I stand there singing. I'm like not into disobeying the Lord. So if um, you would bring your families if you don't mind bringing them up here and and uh, with your you know children come up and the elders will come up and we'd just like to pray for you guys as families that the Lord would give you wisdom as you raise these wonderful children. That's great. All these children, all these parents, all these children. <laughs> well, y'all can just spread out that way, if you could. That way, give us a little more room. I think that uh, when you read the book of Proverbs, we're not to neglect wisdom. We're to ask for wisdom. And, and any time I think about wisdom, uh, I think about Dr. Heagley. I can't help it. It's just who he is. He's, he's, a lot, he's got a lot of wisdom. So Dr. Hugh, I'd love for you to come up here. Or you can just stand right there and just pray for our children uh, today as we dismiss uh, together. Heavenly Father, this is a holy moment. We remember the parents of our Savior taking him to the temple and wanting God's blessing upon him. We thank you for all of these parents, Lord. We thank you for the children you have given to them. We read in the scripture that children are a part of God's heritage. 
we bless your name for our offspring. We give you glory for any good thing that has been accomplished. And Lord, as parents, we freely acknowledge that we're imperfect. But it was your plan that parents bring children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And in spite of our shortcomings and our failures, Lord, we pray that you will help us this day and forward to resolve to be better parents. We pray for all of these young people here and our children that perhaps are not with us today. We pray that they will benefit from godly examples of parents and they in time as the Lord tarries will become wonderful, wonderful parents. This is an evil age. We believe, Lord, that the God of this world is blinding the hearts of so many people. We pray that we who are exposed to the light of Christ will have his mercy and his grace. And you will keep our children, Lord, keep them from the pitfalls of the age. Help them to grow up in the fear of God and become young people and young families that fear God. Thank you for our message today. We pray that you will help us to take it home with us and in coming days as Jesus tarries. We rejoice, Lord, in the many promises of the King's return. And we bow in reverence as we recall the words of John the Apostle when he said, even so come Lord Jesus Christ. It is in your holy name that we pray, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you, Doc.